Today on Watching Your Wealth, how to get the next generation excited about the Family Foundation, plus how to protect your parent from financial scams. This is Watching Your Wealth from the Wall Street Journal. Now, from our studios in New York, here's Veronica Dagger. This is Veronica Dagger, and you're listening to Watching Your Wealth, where you learn all you need to know about building your wealth and protecting your money. Coming up, how to protect your parent from a financial scam. But first, how to get the next generation interested in the Family Foundation. Paige Snow is Chief Philanthropic Officer at Foundation Source. Foundation Source establishes private foundations and provides outsourced administrative services to foundations. Welcome, Paige. Thank you very much, Veronica. Delighted to join you today. Well, it's great to have you. Paige, I've heard parents complain that their children who may be in their 20s or so aren't so interested in helping out with the Family Foundation. But I'm wondering, is that sometimes because this is the first time the parents are trying to include them at that older age? Yeah, um, we actually just uh, undertook a survey, and we were surprised that over half the respondents um, said that they really didn't get their children involved in the Family Foundation until the age of 18. And I think, you know, the pathway to foundation work really ideally is paved at a much younger age. And uh, from my experience, parents can engender interest in an age-appropriate manner as early as they feel comfortable so that, you know, the involvement in the foundation becomes sort of a, a natural evolution. Right. So it's important to start them younger than that because it's more about making it more of a habit or just something that they're accustomed to talking about, not something potentially scary or just boring, something the adults do. Well, you know, I mean, uh, you don't have to get the children on the foundation, um, you know, at a very early age. But I think developing that philanthropic mindset uh, is important. And from what we've seen, children as young as three and four can uh, actually learn the value of doing good works. This is the age when children have a sense of empathy and awareness of, of other people's feelings. And so it's a a great time to begin teaching them the joys of helping other people. So what does that mean? Is that giving them a taste of grant making when they are a little bit younger? Well, I think, uh, number one, you know, young children look to their parents for uh, clues about how to interact in the world. So one thing parents can do is begin to model philanthropic behavior. Um, You can share family stories. any experience where a family member learns something about giving, you know, how grandpa might have helped neighbors that were down on their luck or how Aunt Lila planted a community garden, it, it gives younger children a, a sense of belonging to something bigger. That's nice to give them that history. I think that's a, a big trend, especially among wealthy families, to share that family history, to confer those family values. When do they get to start doing it themselves, though? When, you know, perhaps giving them a pot of money uh, to to give to their favorite cause or make a proposal to the foundation so they could get money for that cause. Like, when yeah, do you suggest that? I happen? think that you know the, the, a good time to start that is as they get a little bit older, and I think. You know, children, let's say ages 7 to 12, um, the, the thing is to start with their own experience, um, you know, and, and encourage them to talk about what's important to them personally. So, um, 
you know, and then they can think about how they might share those things with other people. So, uh, you know, a child uh, might donate a, a blouse that they've outgrown to disaster relief, or they might begin to give toys to a hospital where they had their um, tonsils out. And then, mm-hmm. you know, as they get a little bit older, um, include them in your grant-making uh, decisions. But again, um, it, it's important to start giving to organizations that hold some special significance to the family. Mm-hmm. So it could be something like the hospital where grandma stayed or a wildlife refuge where the family hikes uh, in the summer. Got it. Uh, you know, families are so spread out. So it- even families with the best intentions may have trouble getting the younger generations involved because everyone's you know, on different coasts, maybe even abroad. How do you suggest they handle that? Well, I mean, we're now sort of living in a, uh, you know, a world where um, a lot of families are spread out. Uh, geographic dispersion is, um, in, in a survey that we undertook, it was one of the primary challenges that people said of engaging the family and their uh, philanthropy. I think um, particularly with a, a family foundation, it's, it's not, you know, it's no longer your grandfather's foundation where everybody comes into the paneled uh, foundation boardroom. <laughs> um, I think that, you know, it's very important to use technology, and mm. it's very helpful because it allows, uh, you know, funders that um, – have children that are geographically dispersed to collaborate no matter where they are. The parents can be on vacation, the, the you know, grandparents can be in mm-hmm. Europe, the kids can be in college. So I think, um, you know, for getting the next generation involved, having an online capability is almost mandatory. Right. And it's so easy to call a web meeting these days. There's so many different uh, providers that do that. So that's something you could do. Um, one last point I want to get to, because it's somewhat controversial. Some people want to know at what age or what point or how should you confer board membership to the younger generation? What do you say is a guideline for that? Yeah, it's interesting. I think that, um, you know, probably the age of, uh, you know, 18 to 25 is the, you know, the, the best age to begin the, get, getting them as a board member on the foundation. And um, I, I think the most important thing is not to make that membership automatic. Hmm. Um, Interesting. Really make it based on, you know, do they have an interest? Do they have a commitment? Uh, some families invite the, the uh, next generation when they've reached a certain age. Others wait until some sort of milestone has been achieved, like, um, you know, maybe they attended a certain number of board meetings or they volunteered for a certain number of hours. But I think the important thing is to make board membership a privilege and not a right. Um, and I think if you you make it something that the child needs to earn, it doesn't come across as a burden or an obligation. Excellent tips. We're going to have to end it there, but thank you so much for joining us, Paige. Thank you very much.
My pleasure. And thanks again to the Foundation Sources, Paige Snow, for joining us. Coming up, how to protect your parents from financial scams. Hi, I'm Paul Vigna. If you do not subscribe to the Money Beat podcast, you are going to feel worse than a short seller on the day of a big rally. Go to iTunes and WSJ.com slash podcasts. You want to sign up for this one. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. More senior citizens are falling victim to financial scams. Lonely, elderly folks are often the prime targets. One way you can protect your parents from becoming victims is by unlisting their phone numbers. These scammers may call up your mom and dad telling them they won the lotto or their grandchild is in danger or even propose a romance. Unlisting their phone number is one easy way to protect them from these crooks. This has been Watching Your Wealth, a production of The Wall Street Journal. I'm Veronica Dagger. For more information, check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts. Thanks for listening. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.